0: very good morning. morning. So good to be with you today and uh, I'm looking forward to getting into this topic of freedom and a bit of slavery. Um, So (laughs) I hope you're enjoying this series on the air we breathe. I think it's it's really inspiring to see how Jesus' three-year ministry has impacted our world in far-reaching and significantly deeper ways than we would naturally think. In this series so far, we've seen that Jesus overturned an extremely unbalanced and unequal society to bring equality and dignity and value to women, to children, the poor and the oppressed. (laughs) Jesus started a powerful revolution which brought compassion and charity for the weakest and the least. And this compassion and this charity has become the expected norm here in Australia at the other side of the world 2000 years later. We've seen that Jesus' revolutionary values have impacted us so much and our culture that consent is expected in sexual relations. And Australians, we have a Revulsion for child sexual abuse, um, which wasn't there uh, prior to Christianity. And so that revulsion that we have as Australians is a deeply Christian revulsion. And we've also seen that science is a fruit of the Jesus revolution. And today for our penultimate message, uh, we'll see that the freedom that Jesus made possible and the effective way he set to bring about that freedom. But first, um, if firefighters fight fires, and if crime fighters fight crime, then what do freedom fighters fight? <laughs> Sorry, okay, it's a bit silly. Um, they obviously fight for freedom, yes. Um, so, but that word freedom—it's a powerful word, isn't it? Um, have you seen the movie Braveheart? Um, that cry, freedom! It's really powerful. It's a a, a sort of emotive word. And so I want you to sort of feel these words with me this morning. Feel the word freedom and liberty, release, liberation, emancipation, deliverance. I think just hearing these words gives us a lift. It gives us an encouragement. We, We like the idea of freedom. We love our freedoms here in Australia. But of all of the Western democracies in the world, uh, one, I think, idolises freedom more than any other. Uh, the USA called themselves the land of the free. One of their founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, says um, it makes it abundantly clear that um, all men are equal, all people are equal, all people have the right to freedom. So it declares, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. They can't be taken away. Everyone has them. And that among these rights are life, uh, liberty, freedom and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now I want to expand on that statement just a little. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. But self-evident, they are not. If you look throughout history, in every culture that has developed, uh, there is slavery. Thomas Jefferson, the the chief writer of the Declaration of Independence, um, he owned 600 slaves himself. So clearly these truths are not self-evident. It goes on, our creator, uh, our creator may have given us unalienable rights, uh, rights to have life, liberty, freedom, and to be able to pursue happiness, to pursue him and find happiness and joy in him. But in almost every culture that has developed, there have been humans and subhumans, slave owners and slaves. And while the Declaration says that governments instituted by men derive their powers from the consent of the governed, um, the slaves never gave their consent to be governed, used and abused. Slavery has always been the powerful using the weak for the benefit of the powerful. And so so while the Declaration of Independence in 1776 said that these truths are self-evident, They clearly are not. And in practice, it took a long time for these so-called self-evident truths to work themselves out into the American culture. It took almost 100 years after the declaration was made for slavery to be abolished in the US. The amendment to the US Constitution came into effect in 1865, and even then, remnants of slavery continued. Now, many of you know that I studied jazz at uh, university. And when I got to jazz history, I learned about the development of the blues, uh, which came through the African slaves in America. And these slaves, as you could understand, had very difficult lives. They lived in harsh, cruel conditions. And they needed continual encouragement to keep going in life. They were a people of song, but they weren't allowed to use their drums and do things that they used to do, and so they would just sing. And many of the songs that they sang were blue songs, songs recognising the depressing, blue, sad situation they lived in. But the blues, like the Psalms in the Bible, invariably had an element of hope. (laughs) What amazed me as I went through this history of jazz, uh, was the fact that these slaves, with hopeless, depressing, difficult lives, found hope, comfort, and solace in Jesus. Now, of course, that shouldn't be surprising. It's just that Jesus was the religion of the slave masters, the slave owners. Jesus was the, the white man's hope, but somehow, When these slaves learnt about Jesus, they saw him more clearly than most of the slave owners. And so they would sing songs like these Freedom is coming. Freedom is coming. Oh, yes, I know. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Oh, yes, I know. See, with Jesus is true freedom. They sang songs like Wade in the Water. God's going to trouble the water. God's going to move. He's going to do something in this water. He's going to act and there'll be a miracle if you have enough faith to believe, to step into the water and trust God to do what only God can do. It's a picture like uh, the parting of the Red Sea. Step into the water and be brave, be bold, and God will bring you through. Released, liberated, free. Steal away. Steal away. Steal away to Jesus. Steal away, steal away home. My Lord, he calls me. I ain't got long to stay here. Many of the songs pointed to the hope of a promised land where they were set free from slavery. Like the Israelite slaves in Egypt, they hoped to be delivered through the waters as through to the promised land or through baptismal waters into a new life with Jesus. Many of the songs also focused on Jesus' deliverance to be with him in the next life. And that is a solid hope, even for people who died as slaves. Now, the slaves had it right. The story of the Bible in the Old Testament centred on the deliverance of God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And the New Testament focuses on Jesus delivering us From slavery to the idols of this world into a good relationship with God. Today we find it a bit difficult to get into our heads how how Christians could be slave owners. We find it difficult to get into our heads and hearts um, this idea that some people may be worth less than others or some people may be sort of seen as subhuman or less equal than others. And sometimes people actually might confront us as Christians with the fact that that Jesus didn't come straight out and condemn slavery, and neither did the early church. Well, the non-Christian historian Tom Holland um, has a lot to say about this now. If I say Tom Holland, you might think about Spider-Man. I don't know. Um, but I'm just pointing out it's definitely not that Tom Holland. This is a respectable um, you know, historian in, in great universities in the world. Um, so Tom Holland, this secular historian, he's not a Christian, but he's just looked at history really deeply. And he refers to Jesus setting depth charges against slater, slavery. These depth charges were laid at the foundation of slavery. These, these bombs that were placed there sort of blew out the basis for slavery. When Jesus gave equality and dignity to people, uh, it was like a death charge set to destroy the basis of slavery. If all human beings are made in the image of God, And if Jesus was willing to dignify us by becoming one of us, fully human, then slavery has no foundation to build upon. I sort of imagine, you can't rewrite history, but I imagine that if Jesus faced slavery head on in his ministry and said that all slaves should be set free, then probably a couple of things would have happened. Um, You see, their culture at the time was built on the back of slaves. And so the whole economy, the whole system of life um, was underpinned by slavery. And so I think there would have been a huge opposition from uh, the Romans, and I suspect Jesus may have been killed within weeks instead of after three years of ministry. Or I imagine that maybe if the slaves were set free just like that, then all of a sudden there'd be all this deficit in, in, in the workforce They'd be looking for jobs because they need to feed their families and they'd probably end up in a very similar situation as free people in name but working for slaves' rights just to survive. But by setting these depths charges of equality and dignity for the weakest, the poorest and the least, Jesus could allow the truth to work its way through the culture and transform it over time. So how do we get from this system of huge inequality and complete lack of dignity for slaves who were referred to by um, Aristotle and Plato as living tools? How do we get from there to today? where We're appalled at the idea of slavery. Well, you let this truth of Jesus, giving equality and dignity to people, work through the culture like yeast through a lump of dough. You let it start small and and spread through the whole batch until the tipping point where everyone just agrees that to treat people as tools is unconscionable. Over this series, we have looked at Genesis and the way that we're all made in the image of God. And we've looked at the Good Samaritan and having compassion on others. We looked at Jesus' teaching on divorce, on Consent and marriage and his teaching that lifts women up and gives them dignity by holding the powerful to account and, and men to account and today we're turning to Galatians where we see that the slavery Jesus worked against and the freedom he won for us goes very deep like Jesus Paul's approach to slavery was to undermine it by showing our identity as children of God So in Galatians chapter 3, back in verse 7, Paul speaks to the Jews and the Gentiles who, who believe in Jesus. And he says, Understand that those who have faith are children of Abraham. See, ever since God first made the promise to Abraham, he was the father of the Israelite nation, Abraham. And when Paul writes to those who believe in Jesus who live in Galatia, he says, You know that since forever, The way that people have been saved or adopted into God's family was through faith in God. And he takes them back to Abraham, the father of God's people. And he says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it's no longer by blood that people are children of Abraham, but by faith in God. And then in our part of the reading, he takes it even further. In verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all children, not just of Abraham, but of God through faith. See, all of you were baptised into Christ, having been clothed with Christ. Being adopted into God's family by trusting in Jesus means that we are clothed with Jesus. And this is a deep transformation The Bible says that we are united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And so we ought to consider ourselves dead to sin. The old way of life has no hold on us. We're no longer slaves to sin. And consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. The new way of life is to follow God, to live with him, to live a life of love, of compassion, of quality and freedom through Jesus. And then Paul says this striking sentence, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if the distinction between Jew and Gentile has been done away with, then the separation between people who've always been part of God's family and those who are being adopted in is done away with. We're one family. We're all united as people who receive salvation in exactly the same way through Jesus by faith. And if the distinction between slave and free is done away with, then what does that mean for a Christian slave owner? What does that mean for a Christian slave? Paul here and Jesus earlier laid these truths like those depth charges that would destabilise the whole economy of slavery. Think about it like this. Um, If our government today made a huge declaration and they said that we need to make some major changes in every single household in Australia, then how would you feel? I think I'd be a little bit suspicious. The government sort of stepping into make differences in my household, Uh, I think I'll decide what I do in my own home, thank you. Um, And then the government sort of goes further and they say, well, right, well, every modern convenience needs to be done away with. We can no longer use dishwashers, washing machines, dryers, TVs, computers. Um, In fact, everything that runs on electricity must be stopped. Hmm. I don't like the sound of that. And then a final rule, well, we're not just running out of electricity, but um, we're running out of fuel as well, so you're not allowed to use your vehicles. I imagine there'd be outrage. How could they do that to us? It's it's not my fault if they've managed things poorly. It's not fair. I've got my rights, whatever, whatever. Well, that's what it would have been like for the slaves and the, the structure of the system in Jesus' day. The Roman Empire existed on slavery. Like many societies throughout history, a large part of the mundane, difficult, heavy, tiresome work was done by slaves. And to ask Rome to give up their slaves was very much like asking us to give up our conveniences. The richest, the most powerful people in society needed their slaves in order to live lives at the sort of level they were accustomed to. So instead of having that head-on collision with slavery, Jesus and the early church... Undermined it so slavery could be no more. And Paul applies this message to us in a number of ways. First, if we are all children of God, that means the slave who raises her hands in prayer, standing next to her owner, talking to the same heavenly father, is a sister. And if that's the case, then how long can slavery last? If being children of the same Heavenly Father makes her a sister, how long can the owner keep subjecting his own sister to harsh, subhuman treatment? And second, more directly, Paul says there's neither slave nor free, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If the slave who who cooks my meals is one with me in faith, if we stand exactly the same, with the same value, the same rights, the same love and position before Jesus then how long can I insist that he's treated differently to me? If we're all baptised in the same waters, we're all clothed with the same Christ, and we're all dependent on the same mercy, grace and love of God, and we're united, then can slavery really persist? Paul then reiterates with a very similar thought in chapter 4, using the analogy of a child coming of age, Paul concludes that only faith in Christ Jesus produces true children and heirs, inheritors of God's riches. And so the children are set free from slavery through the gift of the Spirit, that is the Spirit of the Son, the true heir. Here, Paul's talking about spiritual slavery where we were enslaved to sin, enslaved to the spiritual forces of the world and stuck in that sort of old life. But Jesus came and he entered into our slavery and he redeemed us from under the slavery to the spiritual forces and under the law. He fully entered into our predicament and forged a way out so that he could bring us with him. Now, while Paul here isn't talking about slavery as we know it, it is clear that the Christian story is one where slaves are set free, liberated, Released, And now, because of Jesus, and indwelt by his spirit, we all call on the same father, Abba, Father. So if the slave owners were in any doubt that maybe there was some sort of hierarchy there, that maybe some children are a bit lower or less important than others, then Paul uses that precious, intimate term, Abba, Father. It means daddy. That means every one of us, like that precious little child, beloved of the Father, are cherished by him. We absolutely stand on the same foundation as everyone else who calls God Father. Slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, able or not, intelligent or not. If we are one with each other, then the depth of our equality goes into every area, including how we treat slaves. I imagine people might have first thought, wow, well, if Jesus has done this for me, how, how can I treat my slaves as well as God treats them? Um, how can I give them the dignity and worth that Jesus gave me by dying on the cross for me? But then I don't think it took long before they looked at the slaves worshipping the same God next to them in the church and saw we are equal before God. And so in Paul's letter to Philemon, Paul urges Philemon to receive the slave Onesimus back, not just as a slave, but as a dear brother in the Lord. Sadly, it has taken many years for this to work into our culture. And I think that sort of slavery revolution has worked out through a couple of times. Uh, slaves were set free back then. And then for complex reasons, slavery made a resurgence. And, and then it was finally outlawed again in the UK and Australia in 1833, followed by the US in 1865. And underpinning were these changes were the teachings of Jesus and the Christian church. Larry Seidentrop went into it more in his book called Inventing the Individual, and he said Christianity changed the ground of human identity by emphasising the moral equality of humans, quite apart from any social roles that they might occupy. Christianity changed the name of the game. Social rules became secondary. They followed, and in a crucial sense, had to be understood as subordinate to a God given human identity, something all humans share equally. And all this came from Jesus, who taught that when we care for the lowliest and the least, we care for him. And it came from the early church, who saw that there's no longer any moral or value based difference between male and female, Jew and Greek, slave or free. Sadly, today, there are still millions of slaves in the world. And while Jesus absolutely and definitely came to set us free from the slavery to sin, the fear of death and spiritual oppression, he also came to set actual slaves free. Free from lives of subsistence, of abuse and coercion, of extreme poverty and oppression. And today we have opportunities to join Jesus in his work. So they estimate there are somewhere around 50 million slaves in the world today. And while many are in non-Western countries, there are still slaves in Australia today. Some of them have been coerced into a life in prostitution. Others to domestic servitude. And others to sort of high-risk industries, filling worker shortages and Yeah, doing dangerous jobs. In my sermon in April on 1 Peter chapter 2, I mentioned slaves in the world today who are are these literal slaves, uh, slaves with a capital S. Uh, But I think another danger in Australia is is the slaves that I'm calling with a small s. Uh, These are people who are stuck in a cycle of poverty and hardship. People who cannot miss a couple of days of work for fear of not having enough money to pay the rent, the power bills, the food costs. And they're surviving and have no hope of ever thriving. And you might picture an older lady who's retired and is living on a pension, but her rent's increased exponentially in the last three years. Her food costs and fuel costs have increased. And she's cut back on expenditure in the hope that you know, maybe some relief will come, um, maybe reduced rent, maybe a reduction in grocery costs or utilities, but her savings are going down and her stress levels are increasing. Well, the Anglican Church of Noosa and the Parish Council are trying to work towards some effective ways of helping people in this situation. And we'd welcome your insights and wisdom if you have any in this area. Uh, but in the, in the meantime, I encourage you to pray for and work towards a world without literal slavery, Sex trafficking and, and also um, slaves with a small s. People trapped in this cycle of poverty and just surviving. So this week, let's consider how we treat uh, the, the lowliest and the least in our community. Let's take the opportunities that we have as people set free by Jesus to lift up people who are struggling. Let's give thanks for the freedom Jesus bought for us at the cost of his life and let's extend that freedom to spiritual and to actual slaves by helping to shed his light on dark places in the world today. Our God is in the business of freeing slaves and he loves to work through us to do it. So let me lead us in prayer. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life-transforming good news. Thank you that you gave yourself to set us free. And you've given us this incredible good news of freedom, of liberation, of life in all its fullness to share with others. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet in the world today to use the gifts you've given us to set spiritual and actual slaves free. We surrender to your will now. And we ask you to have your way in us and through us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.